So, how do we start? Hi, this is Aga and Łukasz, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design. And much more. I don't think that there's anybody who doesn't like to travel. And today we are talking to Elena Rodriguez Blanco, who is a co-founder of Authenticities, which is a boutique experience curator to connect the social and sustainable two to three hour experiences in different cities. So basically, whenever you want to travel to a place in the world and you would like to do something which is different, impactful and brings value to the city itself, this is the place to look for these experiences. Elena grew up in Central America, Costa Rica and El Salvador, and she started her career by working in corporate world, but then she switched and we will ask about the switch later on. So she crossed some barrier. She definitely crossed the border and decided to become a social entrepreneur. But next to it, Elena is also a professor and a researcher at the Institute of Social Innovation at the Asada Business School in Barcelona where she is teaching design. Wait up. So, is she an entrepreneur or a professor at the business school doing design? <laughs> that doesn't add up. <laughs> Elena. What is this that you do? First of all, thank you for joining us and awesome to have you with us today. <laughs> thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, what do you do? Because it's confusing to me. <laughs> it is to everyone. And I get the question even from my closest friends, what is it that you do? I like working in the intersection or in the frontiers, because I think that's where most innovation come from, right? So if you think of an ecosystem, usually when you have one type of terrain and where it meets the other terrain, that intersection is usually the one that flourishes the most. So I've taken advantage a little bit of my background, uh, past, uh, where I grew up and what I've learned through life and travel to kind of always find myself in this in-between spots so that I can provide value and also navigate that chaos, which is one of the things that, that I'm most passionate about. Basically, I have three, let's say, main hats. And the main one is that I'm a social entrepreneur through authenticities. The other one is I'm a professor in the business school, mainly because the business school has been my home. But in more recent years, I've been teaching in all types of school, including travel school, which I never did a tourism uh, major, and also design school. And then I'm also speaking or writing about these topics or consulting around these topics. And right now I'm working actually in a really interesting project where I'm designing a program, uh, like an open innovation challenge for development. So that's basically the three hats that I have, which they all interrelate and they all feed on each other and they all are like an authentic expression of myself. Now I get it. So it's not that it is a one thing that combines the three, it is you that combine at least three different fields. Exactly. And I'm always trying to bring what I have like on one side into the other one. It was a challenge when I first said I wanted to do design and seeing design as part of the business school, looking why that would be very important. Uh, because in the end, we're all designing, right? So even if you're thinking about doing a new business or starting a company, there's a design that goes into it. And especially if you want to be social and environmental, design is even more important because you have to look at more elements that go into it. I never thought I was going to be a designer. <laughs> I never had that I had, but I'm now probably where I feel more comfortable is calling myself a designer. It is probably safe to say that your passion 
is sustainable tourism? So my passion is social innovation. Authenticity is not my first social enterprise, it's actually my third. How I first started is that I wanted to join and change how microfinance was working in developing countries. Microfinance, which is a mechanism for giving loans to many women, but also people that are below the income line. And that was proven successful by Professor Yunus, who won a Nobel Peace Prize for it. But it was always linked to banking. So it had very high interest rates. So I was trying to think, what is a way to delink banking from the whole equation? And that's how I actually ran into travel. Because travel is something that is always bringing in income, allows you to create a reserve of money that then you can lend to the people that you're actually visiting. That would like a development perspective. So looking how could we best enhance the town, which also came with checking and making sure, for example, that like the women in this town that we were visiting were not doing businesses linked to tourism because we didn't want to make them dependent. So we were very conscious about using it as a development tool rather than as a sustainable travel initiative. It also does happen that I have lived in over 20 cities and traveled my entire life. So I am very passionate about travel and seeing how travel can be a tool for social innovation is something I am very passionate about. So it's about that combination and then seeing how through travel you can really change narratives both in developing and now where I'm more focusing is in developed countries because I feel is where we need to change a bit more even the narrative from here, from the perspective of, of people who are living in the first world. Why do we need to change those narratives? Um, I think if you look at everything that's going on today, right, including the climate change or poverty levels, it's only in the sense that you start seeing it from a different perspective where you can actually feel you can be an agent of change. Otherwise, it just looks too big. So that means that you need to shift that perspective to making sure that you can actually do something. So I think that's why that narrative needs to change in terms of who am I and like what's my role here in this bigger perspective of what's happening. How does your startup Authenticities aid that? So thinking about sustainable travel, what I was seeing is that people were actually traveling to developing countries. I mean, I grew up in El Salvador, not so many people traveled there, but I did work with a lot of humanitarian workers who were coming in and I would see how they would completely transform because they were seeing realities that they never really thought they were going to be seen beyond a TV show, right? So they were actually connecting with another human that was in a completely different situation. I think it happens when it travels because you're more open to it. In a sense, you want to listen to those stories. And then second, people were coming back to wherever they were from. They wanted to do something. And usually what people started doing is they started doing a crowdfunding campaign to make this type of initiatives that are supporting projects in the local area where they visited and those get a lot of visibility or whatever. But if you actually look into development, of course, these initiatives are not really helpful at the time and sometimes can actually be more harmful than health. So how can we shift that and how can we use that energy of change to actually apply it to the problems that we also have here? So, I mean, when you're in the city, you notice that you're walking and that there's a homeless sitting in the street and you don't even have eye contact with him or her, or you don't know the situation of the refugees coming here or immigration, see yourself as separate, and yet you're supporting another initiative over there, which actually they don't need a new school, they need a teacher and they need the kids to not be able to have to work, right? So basically that was a little bit like the point, like how can you unite both? And how can you then take that energy, that transformation, so that people can take action here? I'm, I'm always interested in how can you then take that transformation into your current lifestyle? 
so that it stops being something that you can do over there, but rather something I can do here now. So just give me an example to make it more concrete. So we have different dimensions of impact. We started before there were the UN development goals. Now we are matching them, let's say, so that we can be part of this bigger ecosystem. For example, we have different tours, so you can pick different initiatives, right? We have one that is about environment. And of course, it was very different than what can happen when you go to a developing country and you meet a child in the street, right? Because now you're talking about Barcelona, developed country, European travelers coming here for a weekend. So it's a completely different mindset. But I still found that there was a lot of opportunity for travel initiatives there. So, for example, one of the first ones we designed, so we work with nonprofits so that understand the situation as well. So that they, that's already a different perspective, a different story, a different mindset. And then basically we do one hour of paddle surfing, one hour of understanding the challenges of a city beach. Because everyone's like, oh, cool, city beach. But they don't know, like... Once you paddle surf, you see uh, a lot of plastic bags while you're there. And and then we do like a 20-minute beach cleanup, which when we started, people were like, who's paying you to do that? But then actually, also when we were coming out, more and more people from the beach were joining us because it's actually quite boring to just lie on the beach all day, right? So (laughs) families coming with their kids to help, it became like a game. So we're Hmm. like all like kind of like doing this treasure hunt sort of thing. That was one. And the other one we have is with uh, Mamadou's. He came here as an immigrant when he was 15, and he now set up his own bike shop. So he basically uh, takes us around and tells us his story of what it was like moving from Senegal to here. And then you listen to curious facts, like, for example, if you notice around Europe, there's a lot of homelessness. But for example, there's not that many African people, black people on the street sleeping. Why? Because they don't allow anyone of their culture or their family or people from their country to sleep on the street. They would rather sleep 30 in a room than have someone in the street. So if you actually notice, because if you actually travel through Europe and look at the homeless situation, you will very rarely see all these immigrants that are coming here sleeping in the street. From Africa, I mean. They could be homeless, but they might not be sleeping on the street. So you hear that. You hear how he set up his own company, how he set up his own social enterprise. I mean, and he's 23. And he has now three bike shops, uh, he's building stuff in Senegal, and he's working in education there and informing people about how, well, the kids there, how the solution is not here, but rather there. So we start building these experiences that also feed on each other in the local ecosystem of social and sustainability. So we go to restaurants that are kilometer zero. We do tours that also talk about sustainable fashion, and we talk about the whole value chain. So different, different ones. And now I'm experimenting even further just because I'd like to prototype. I'm experimenting with silent experiences. So basically we go on a silent walk and just listen to the city and see how we are in the city with that sound. Anyway, so these are some of the ones. Barcelona is where I prototype the most. But then when it was crazy when I started is that I started connecting with people. They were coming outside my networks, which was actually very interesting. Outside of also of tourism, outside of the social world, it was just people that were having the same call to do something. And that's why I decided to create a platform. And I realized that I was really just curating more than experiences, also the people behind those experiences that were sharing the same values that we have. And right now, for example, that there's an oversaturation of experiences for travel and there's going to be more. People are like, wait, now everybody's doing what you're doing. And of course, for me, it's good in the sense that like now people actually understand what a travel experience two, three hours is. And they're willing to buy it because remember that like two, three years ago, it was not cool to do a tour. 
uh, you wanted to travel on your own. And now it's actually becoming really trend again. But I really believe in the partners that we have and the stories that we tell and the impact that we have is completely different than the experiences that are out there. Yeah, and of course, like this is not for everyone. On the other hand, if that trend grows, more and more people will will become curious to try it out. And on a very small scale, sometimes they may be more sensitive to things like zero waste or sustainable production or empathy towards people around you even. One of the situations with transformation experiences in general, I think, is that we forget that we have to guide the people that we're working with. There's a traveler who has no idea and he's coming here or she's coming here just to spend the weekend. But maybe they know something about that ecological and organic and all that is more famous. So that would be like a level one. Look, at, so I'm actually now designing experiences that walk you through a process in your travel so that you can become more and more aware without actually even understanding that you're becoming more aware. Because once you understand, okay, so maybe the things that people do, eat and shop, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to design two experiences that have to do with eating and shopping. So we're going to talk about sustainable travel and like the whole spectrum of what that even means. And the same thing for food. Next level would be maybe like a paddle surf and like a beach clean. And then the next level would be being with an hour with Mamadou and listening to his story, right? It could be the same traveler, but in different moments of their so-called transformation journey into understanding what social impact could be and how they are and what stories they're willing to listen and to be part of, because we also invite people to be active in a lot of these experiences. So they actually live it through. Mm -hmm. So now I'm designing these stages, which has been interesting because most people right now that are designing travel experiences, they're only doing it from the perspective of who's hosting it. And they are not thinking of the actual journey of the traveler through time, through their product as a client, right? I think that there might be one other level, which is probably one or two percent of all these people who go through those experiences are willing to come back to their own places and start a similar activity there. It's already happened. It's already happened several times because there's certain markets that I haven't opened, like uh, US, for example, and a lot of my clients are from the North American market. In the very least, they send us a message with initiatives that could be interesting for an experience. At most, they have designed an experience themselves, maybe not even for themselves because we work with nonprofits and they don't know about experience design. They need the support to do that, right? So someone that has already done the experience is somewhat more equipped to then help out. And that would be like a full circle transformation that then takes it to another level. Also, people that have been working in our team, sometimes as interns or fellows, they are now partners. They now have experiences in our website. I would say about 20 to 30% of the experiences in our website actually come from people that have worked directly with Authenticities First in one form or another. And of course, for me, super comfortable to work with them because they know everything about our company. Yeah. And then I can imagine that the values can spread through the people who start those experiences and then they will train other people from their own environment to do more. So maybe there's even a fifth exactly. level. <laughs> All right. Stop designing, Aga. <laughs> um, you said once that in your work, you get random pieces, usually of what's left in a situation. And your job is to create, play, and make something beautiful of value that transforms, that gives back, that regenerates, that lives on its own and makes your heart smile. <laughs> <laughs> say that on Facebook, I feel. <laughs> oh. 
Can you tell a little bit more? Is it a little bit of a random process how you find those pockets of inspiration to work with or is it more systematic approach? When I'm thinking about creating something new, for sure there is the question. Like I do have the question in my head, both consciously and subconsciously. I think our bodies are designed to be looking for what we're looking for, right? It's kind of like a hunting mechanism. So if you really wake up in the morning and say, I want to look for more info on this or whatever, you start seeing signs towards that direction. So I do start with that. And then I just really flow with it and see what the conversations bring me, what the spaces are. Because I really do think it's about observing, uh, listening, involving all your senses. And I think also the sense of self-listening. But I, for sure, I do have a process around it. But I don't know sometimes it's how long it's going to take. And I think this is where sometimes our work It's very close to an artist and it's not, right? Because you are still producing a product that someone wants to buy versus just something for the sake of its beauty. And I think also as a, as a creative, you have to give space for both. Like I wrote a book on silence and it's more my artistic work. And if nobody reads it or buys it, that's kind of okay with me because I did that just for the beauty of it. But through that expression, then I get ideas to do than what I'm doing, like the silent tour, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. that came from that. And it was the other way around doing things that just for the sake of beauty have an inner power that feeds on each other. And that is very close to life, right? Like very close to, to how, how nature works. Not everything has a function that will serve its reproduction. So I'm a big believer in, in beauty in that sense and seeking to leave that artist in all of us to, to play. Love it. Mm. The season is about crossing boundaries, but I'm having an impression that you are sitting on so many of them. <laughs> so you're not crossing, you're just having one leg on one side and the other on the other, which is super Yeah, awesome. I had this reflection also just after our intro that we started this season thinking about it, the, this crossing this barrier or a border is a big thing. So it was a threshold and it takes an effort and courage and what not to cross. But indeed, like you, Alana, there are some people who are sitting on those intersections. It's probably a better metaphor and just constantly exploring, as you explain yourself, those adjacent fields. The act of crossing is multiple times a day, if not constantly. <laughs> Never thought about it this way. <laughs> I'm sitting on the fence like this myself now when I think about it. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> Translation of languages across these barriers. That's also an art in itself, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And when you think back how I grew up, I mean, I grew up in three different countries. So I've been crossing borders all the time. And I'm already coming from a family that immigrated from Spain to Costa Rica. So when I was thinking about myself, like, where can I add more? Or where can I ask the questions that would be more interesting? Is usually in these borders, I can speak uh, many languages. I mean, even within work, like between business and the social sector. I mean, exactly. I can speak to a nonprofit and I can speak in the business school and I can speak to directors and to artists. So now I feel more comfortable calling myself a designer, which I seriously, I've only been verbalizing this for like six months. But I think design really has to sit in the middle of a lot of hmm. uh, crossovers, especially if you are part of the conversation of designing social innovation because it doesn't come from one perspective alone and that would be just a failed linear process that would only result in a circle rather than in a spiral somewhere else, right? Yeah. But there's one more thing that you mention a lot, 
which is measuring the impact. Can you tell a little bit more about how you think about measurement? That's like a big conversation in the social impact space, especially when looking at impact investing. Everyone wants to measure something. We come from this measured world, right? That we want to measure how many jobs we produce, how much money we make. And it's easy when it's things you can count and that we all know how to count the same. It gets more complex when it becomes things that we can't count today or things that just really don't have a measure unit. So that's when it gets very complex. We've been trying in the social space to give number to what doesn't really have numbers. Things like dignity, right? You can count how many jobs and how many jobs with dignity and how do you measure dignity? It's a very different conversation, right? For me, it was always important to have some form of measurement, even if it's just for communication so that people understand. My goal is to get people to join actively in everyday life, be part of the solution to some of the challenges we have. So for that, I need to tell them what challenges they are participating in and how we can look at it so that you know where to place yourself in this big framework. Because that, that's the problem. Like You don't take action if you just feel like a big white canvas. It's really hard to start with the first color, right? So tell them which color they're participating on and tell them you're already in it. You're already doing it, right? Even if it's just a travel experience. So we started doing those six dimensions of impact. My objective is always to join the conversation and to be part of the evolving conversation. So we do publish social impact report every year. And I know it's actually becoming like a little bit of an industry standard because I know big companies are now coming from the travel industry, looking at our social impact report, asking us questions about how we're doing it. And I don't have a defined full science, but I do know that I'm starting to talk more about how we can do it with what's already out there. So suddenly the UN development goals came in. We joined them. And I do have measurements there that we've been prototyping. They're not perfect. They serve the purpose of communication. They serve the purpose of internal regulation as well. And then the other thing we did as well is we joined the B Corporation movement, which is an audit for companies, like a very intense audit that looks more than what you're doing, the how you're doing it. So for example, measuring if the company's ratio of the person that makes the most money what is the ratio with the one that makes the least money, percentage of women that are employed in the company, or diversity, right? That very extensive survey about everything and also regulator, they come check you out and everything. So we're around 2,500 companies in this, which include big ones like Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, Danone now here in Europe. So there's been a conversation. I wanted to join that as soon as possible when it came out, because like that's another way for me to measure my impact for like a small company. So Anything else that we can join that is part of a bigger system, it's already making impact in its own and can be measured, right? And the reason why I focus on business, I think if we could shift the business, we could shift a lot of things. And I focus on the how we do business, not so much on the what. And I think if we really transform the how, the leadership, the dynamics, the how we work together, then a lot could change in terms of like what we actually do. So you say that you work on the how, but I think that you work on the how and the why. Yeah, for sure. Many times we are focusing so much on the why and we all have the purpose, but then we're using the same how that before. So just to give you an example, we have done accelerators for social enterprises, working on issues like education, transforming healthcare, big issues. You can't accelerate the change 
You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to use the same Silicon Valley methods for companies that are looking to address other challenges that are much bigger and that their goal is not to maximize profit. And yet in the social space, we are still talking with the same language, especially in the social business space. We're still using the same methods, investing with the same criteria. And that's why the measurements have become so important because we're, yeah, we're talking about triple bottom line, but triple bottom line only measures certain things, right? We end up with money only going into one direction, into certain groups of people, and really into solutions that, of course, scale up, but are not really having a transformation in the stories people are telling themselves and in the narratives. They're just they're like big band-aids that we're placing. Now, this is a very strong opinion I have about this. Keep in mind, social impact is the conversation is kind of newish. More and more people are realizing, oh, are we having that in the pockets of people that have the money, like the investors, I mean, for example. They're now realizing, oh, we're not having the impact we want. And I'm just wondering if the why is there and the what is there. There's a lot about this how we are still using short-term thinking and rewards and incentives for scaling the same way we do for everything else. And we're not really transforming, right? We're just feeding the same systems. The conflict that's there, the conflict between acting the Silicon Valley startup style mm -hmm. versus how the social impact initiatives should work or like could work comes from the goals of the people who sponsor it. So like you mentioned, VCs, what are they looking for? They are looking for growth and money, mm -hmm. which is not something that translates into the social impact world. How do you see that difference, the discrepancy that, that's there? And that's exactly what I was meaning about the how, because I think everyone, maybe not everyone, but at least entrepreneurs that are in the social space, they have a clear why, why they're doing what they're doing. I don't know if you've heard about it. the zebra movement. So the zebra movement has basically been discussion about how investment money should come into projects. And I actually went to the first meeting two years ago in Portland. And this all came about because they published an article called Sex and Startups, which was talking about that women, for example, have a lot harder time getting investment money. And I will not only say this as a statistic, I've experienced it myself. I actually went through a process of looking for VC money for two years. I found it and the level of questioning that was going into how I was doing things was so intense compared to how my male colleagues were being treated because they would just put like a business plan on the table and they're like, okay, go. And there's a trust. I had to explain everything. I don't know how many times that I had to buy out my investors. Hmm. I had to go through this process because I was wasting so much time in just dealing with my investor relationship. So we put this big price of the how is to get investment. This is already benefiting a certain group of people. And I say male, female, but it goes into a lot of other diverse groups that don't have access to this money. And I come saying all this from a level of privilege already that I am educated, that I speak two languages, that I have access to travel and that I'm actually a, a business background person on top of knowing about the social space. So there's people that are working in the social space that don't have a business background, for example. And then with this kind of like short-term measurement of success, 
They want to see numbers. They want to see people who come to the website. We're designing products that don't exist. Now we know about what social impact experiences are. Last year, hmm. I have been doing social impact experiences and calling them that for six years. People were like, what? Experiences, travel, okay. And social impact experiences, people are still like, what are you talking about? And now they are like, oh, you're doing what Airbnb is doing. Yes, with a social twist. Now it's really easy to explain because people get it. So if you are coming up with new solutions, and I like to make a comparison with the pharma world, even if I don't like it, because you are working on the molecules that then will make a pill, that that pill will then solve a problem, and that problem then makes a generic that will scale up. But how does the pharma work? Pharma gives a patent to pay for this whole process of innovation. And the scientists, they're like the rat researchers, they're just doing molecules. They don't know, even know what they're going to be solving. They have a patent that pays for the lab researchers. As a social entrepreneur, I'm asked to be the lab researcher, to be the molecule producer, to find a market for my pill, and to scale up and create a generic pill. And then I get some money, maybe. When me personally, for example, I will be happier at the lab because that's the one that requires my most intimate skill set of being an observer and watching. But I have to use all my skill set and then still please go and be like, are we saving 1 billion people's lives or not with your solution? Unlike since when the conversation of social impact became into the 1 billion. I don't have a copy-paste solution for education, for refugee crisis, for immigration. It's crazy. And they are going on about this 1 billion conversation now. Like, no, this is the new billionaire. I'm like, what are we talking about? You cannot do this in the social space. And if every social entrepreneur just changes the conversation in one city, changes the perspective of what could be created, then we can replicate it. But not, not with this invest only on the ones that are generic. And that's what I mean about the how, because I think the solutions are out there. It's just like the method of getting the money into the solutions. The conversations focus on measurement in the way that big companies do it, that these unicorns do it, is not correct. And that was the whole Zebra conversation. It's like, well, what would happen if we could be self-funded? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's changed the game completely in terms of not having to prove myself and going back to the roots of what I was doing, focusing on what I care about, which are my travelers and my partners and my providers, right? It might take a different time of span and it might look less big, but I was like, what's my success here? Is it to have the largest platform in the world of social impact experiences? That's not mine. It's to transform the lives of more people that are traveling through. So I could do that with two experiences if I'm filling them up every day. So you start strategizing and thinking differently of how you're actually taught to do it. And that can allow you to even have more impact in the long term than the common methods of where money is going into right now. That actually begs a question. Maybe you have some hints. I think it's a relatively recent phenomena that very few people are thinking in terms of building their own business for life. Just like the person you mentioned that has a bike shop. Somehow this is not trendy. So I've been doing a lot of work in, and researching around women social entrepreneurs. And if you talk to them, their why many times consists like, I want to just keep my children and be my own boss on top of that they're also doing good because that's part of their ethos of who they are. So I find that it comes from a perspective of this kind of like startup exit, which was what this article that I was mentioning, the sex and startups come, which is very much grow as fast as you can short term and just get out and move on to the next thing. 
without caring about the consequences that you have, without any type of long-term thinking. So I do think there's some people that are thinking like that, and we're, we're looking at other ways to do it. What does it require? Completely different ways to think. I mean, my competitors are still those big ones in the end. So it becomes more an observation and a fun kind of design game to see, like, how can I differentiate? How can my experiences have a lot more value than what's out there? What's going to happen in the end? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I do think there's more and more of a conversation on this end of, like, how we're doing it because the current systems are kind of failed. And it's true. It's not the current paradigm still, but I think it's going to become that. And I hear more and more of this conversation. So it's going to be like with travels that... Going on a tour was not cool, and now it becomes cool again. So it might be that aiming for exit that is so cool now may stop being cool and actually creating sustainable business that helps you develop and support your local community rather than just money and growth could become a trend. And I I think both models can still coexist depending on what you're doing. Like, for example, the top-down model, like hierarchical, when there's a humanitarian incident is the most effective you need someone just telling you what to do and go 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 the development world tried a system called uh, clusters when emergencies were happening which is basically organizing all the nonprofits and grouping them in terms of sectors so health water whatever and then having them come together to a consensus to what was their decision so i think that depending on the product depending on what you're trying to do depending on your why the how can change what we do need to do is create different house for different things. We cannot copy and paste the Silicon Valley model into social impact for all social impact. Listen, if I have a product that is just a product that needs sales to provide electricity, maybe yes. Maybe I, I do want to scale up really quickly because the model permits it and I'm not looking for a transformation. I'm just looking for getting delivery of this product to wherever it needs to go. Like commodity supply. Exactly. When we talk about this current model of entrepreneurship, there is a secret danger to it, which is the burnout. I think when people are very clear about their why and they're entrepreneuring around their why, if you burn out, the burnout is a lot deeper because it's linked to your identity. It's very different than someone that has a burnout from producing something they're just going to sell and that's their objective to someone that is very clear on their why and they're building something on their why that is just like a piece of your soul kind of burning out with you, right? So when you say they are building it because of why, I hear you meaning that as connecting to something deep within themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what you mean. All right. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, you know why you're doing what you're doing. You build something around that, but it's linked to who you are, to your identity. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a lot around the conversation of purpose. So I think what you measure as success is also going to be part of that burnout. And then it comes into understanding also how you want to design this lifestyle. So like when I first started, I was so passionate about what I was doing and seeing so much of what I could do. You see the world problems and challenges growing and you feel more and more responsible and somehow you're carrying this big backpack of work that you need to do. So I wasn't even taking like weekends or even mental space. I started like kind of redesigning how I wanted to be an entrepreneur to be sustainable. Because even I got out of an office job And then I got into entrepreneurship doing what I was doing and I burnt out again because my how was exactly the same. And I had a worse boss, which was probably myself, right? (laughs) So (laughs) The most demanding one. (laughs) The most demanding one. Yeah, because you want to get the most out of yourself, right? So then I had to start redesigning a bit how I was going to be doing entrepreneurship. 
and I feel very comfortable with it. What is your secret? I think now that we're navigating different lifestyles, you need to be finding what that answer is for you at every moment. Sometimes I need more stability. So it means I actually want to be staying more city where I live and relating more with the same people. Sometimes it means traveling and, and getting inspired. Sometimes it means changing my diet or going into silence. It's just really being in tune with what my needs are and moving away all the conversations that tell me what it should really look like to be able to navigate my own answer in that space. We got this notion when we were kids that a lot of things in life are fixed. Mm. The purpose is fixed, that we don't change, and that when we start doing things in a certain way, they sort of stay the same. I have this connection with the fixed mind and the growth mind. This ability to stay open to experiment and to not know and to understand that it's okay that things change rather than it's not okay. Mm -hmm. There's also to understand that everything that you designed for can be just thrown away like one second. So right now, for example, I've really designed my life so I can be very nomadic. It took me like four years to get to this point. And now that I have it, I'm actually just staying in Barcelona. And I'm like, wait, now that I have this design, like, why don't I travel more? And there's also understanding that right now I want to do different things inside a space where I actually have mental energy to do it. Here in Spain, there's a saying, oh, I need to start from scratch. We have this mentality that every time we go around the spiral, you're starting from the same point. You're not. Like, these options are still available for you. I still know how to be a nomad. I could do it again. But right now, I just feel like being here for as long as that feels right. And then I move it to something different. And it's true that at some points, I've had a blockage into going into things that I thought I had moved away from. So for example, being offered a stable job on the side. And now that I'm doing authenticities, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to be in that space anymore because I got out of it. Then I have to really check, you know, is there something that's serving me right now? What could it be interesting? And there's a fear inside of me that like things of Berlin 10 years ago that got out of that. And I'm thinking I'm the same one, right? Because that's what my brain still remembers. I go, no, you don't like that. You ran away from that. But then I'm like, why am I assuming that I'm the same version of myself 10 years ago? Maybe not the version of right now really would explore this differently and live it completely different. I think that's something you need to be learning, especially if you are in charge. Well, I think entrepreneurship forces you to be in charge of yourself and be responsible. Having the scapegoat of like, oh, my boss didn't let me do this. When these fixations become your box that limits your possibilities of what you're seeing, when you realize you are actually in charge of your life, you have no more excuses, and that is in your face. So I always say that entrepreneurship is no BS personal growth because you see the effects of what you're doing immediately, how you're being in the world, how you're showing up. So there's no escape. Mm -hmm. And that also can get tiring. So that's why people burn out as well. <laughs> so you need to make take breaks and be like, okay, I'm just going to take this day off. No, escape is one thing, but there is also much more difficult to blame someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, like, what does it mean that you made the wrong move? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you evaluate it and from what perspective, mm -hmm. what position, how, how much time up front? Okay, uh, it's a philosophical discussion <laughs> on its own. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to come back a little bit to this discussion that you already started uh, mentioning about female entrepreneurs. How do you see this? Well, I think it's an interesting topic nowadays, no? We are always focusing on the limitations for not belonging to the specific 
current paradigms that have more benefits. And I'm, I could get into that conversation because there's a lot to be said there. But I also want to think like, what are the advantages that it has from being outside? One of my mentors always told me, I love being a woman and I see being a woman as being powerful. And like the current paradigm is seeing it like, oh, you can't get access to this. You have this, you have that. Like, what would happen if I changed that story for myself when I am confronted in situations? Because I have been many times, you know, like the VC where also the power dynamics, because I'm an entrepreneur, is different, double different. And I have the power to walk out of the door and do it myself. So I started shifting and seeing like what possibilities it gives me. So for example, if I'm invited as a speaker, if I see that that the conference is more than 50% only men, I just don't go. And I tell them why I'm not going to go. Another one is as women, we have very strong support communities, networks, other women entrepreneurs have been like a huge support group. We need to shift a bit the viewpoint of where we're having this conversation from mm-hmm. because I think we're stuck. So maybe we should start talking about the advantages of being a woman in entrepreneurship and the advantages of that we have mm-hmm. in general so that we, we shift that viewpoint and be like, oh, maybe... That can change the conversation from where we're having it at. I agree with you that having the discussion only about the disadvantages is victimizing the situation so that it's easy to use this argument like Yugash said that on the other hand, I've heard a number of times that you have to explain yourself 100 times more in order to gain trust that the male entrepreneur or male contractor gets immediately. And this is not really fair. Yeah. And then I think that is what we need to bring to light. And the other day we were doing a study. I mean, I was helping a group do a study on female entrepreneurs of big companies in Spain. Mm -hmm. One. (gasps) One. One out of 500. Like that was the original list. So... We need to have the statistics out there so that people are aware and know that this is what you're dealing with, right? And and of course, I think what I feel like my part of this is from where I stand. And again, I know that I'm standing in a very privileged spot because I have resources to do it differently. I know many people do, but it's like, how can I be the voice for those women that don't have it? Bring this forward but with a light so that I'm not seen as a victim, but I seem like you're missing out on having the voices of these people on board. One, I think the women that are in those spaces, it is our responsibility and we should see how we can be shifting that perspective in the more dominant groups. Mm -hmm. And then of course, highlight all the facts of all the unfairness that has happened until now, but in a way that we can actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think that the trick here is about fairness of opportunity, not necessarily the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because there are two aspects. There has to be a chance and someone has to go and grab it. And if you are underrepresented, this threshold is, I'm guessing, a little bit higher to basically go for it. The voices have been shut down for a long time. Like women mm-hmm. were, I mean, like we have to think that like 40 years ago, we're like not even allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, true. <laughs> so like we're we are in the process of changing a narrative. Yeah, totally cultural right. narrative that has been held for a really long time. So if you have had not heard your voice heard or matter, mm-hmm. like right now we're starting to 
realize that it matters. And so I think we're part of this longer term process. Mm -hmm. And of course, when this happens, as you know, we need to like find incentives so we can push it so that it can move faster because we do need it to move faster because we need those voices online, right? So, of course, yeah, totally. Finishing slowly our conversation, imagine that you are not who you are. If you are not who you are, who do you think you could be? Who could you be in your alternative life? Um, I would probably be a monk nun in a place where I can just be with my community and in prayer <laughs> all day. Wow. It sounds very surprising because you make an impression of a person who makes a lot of connections and is expressive. And now contrasting that to a monk life, like very interesting. If you were to recommend a book that inspires you, to our listeners, what would it be? There is one that I really liked. It's called Emergent Strategy. And I really like it not only because it's talking about how to design a different type of strategy, but the book itself, it's written with a combination of stories, poems, methods. It's already emergent on its own. And it's one of the most refreshing books I've read. And I think one that's very necessary to bring forth new ways of thinking into everything from how we write a book to how we strategize for everything we're doing. Elena, thank you so much for this conversation. So many yeah. insights, very, very interesting. Love talking to you and thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We would love to hear from you on Twitter at Malka6 and at DLS6. You can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com.